Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of November 30th, 2021, and episode number 495, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com, and yes, we are back. It's been a little while. I've uh, been out for, uh, gosh, uh, over a month. Didn't plan on it, just kind of happened. Uh, I took a week off after my Westerville Public Library appearance. I was out there on a Monday night and then uh, canceled, uh, pretty much just didn't do a show that Tuesday. I planned on coming back the next Tuesday, but uh, unfortunately, uh, I don't uh, don't get to pay the bills from this show or the six books that I've published. Uh, Money doesn't come from... uh, working in the paranormal. So my uh, job pretty much uh, demanded that I work uh, overnights for that uh, for a few weeks actually leading up to um, pretty much Black Friday sales. So I work in e-commerce, which is uh, this is the time of the year for that. And so I spent a lot of hours working and unfortunately starting at eight o'clock during uh, all every single Tuesday. So not cool, not fun, uh, not fun to stay up all night unless I, I want to do it. It's different when you're working, I guess, but I do like to, I am a night owl. I do like to stay up late, uh, but not working. It's not fun. Uh, so October 29th, I also, I was a Friday, I believe I appeared on a radio station, 94 rock out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. I uh, was invited to uh, appear along with Benjamin Radford, and uh, that was a lot of fun, talking ghosts, paranormal things. Of course, leading up to Halloween, that's the busy season, the silly season for those of us involved in the paranormal. So pretty much only two appearances this year. It's pretty thin. And uh, I made a comment in the chat room about uh, this will be the first year I can remember that I've never left the state of Ohio, which is uh, crazy. I mean, at least I'll venture over to Pennsylvania, go kayaking or hiking or uh, backpacking or something. But uh, not this year. I didn't leave uh, 2020. Uh, I traveled pre-pandemic. I was out in Arizona. That's when, when I first saw, oh, this is in January, late, yeah, late January, saw people with masks on for the first time. Didn't know uh, it was uh, coming. And uh, and the world shut down. Uh, so, yeah, no traveling this year, which really stinks. Uh, but uh, we're back this week. We got a little bit of catching up to do with uh, some old news. Not going to rehash everything that happened over the course of the last month. But we do have some some big news that occurred uh, just within the last few days, the last week or so that we'll catch up on. And, yeah, it's been pretty boring after Halloween. It's uh, pretty much... Uh, kind of a, a shutdown. That's why December is usually the month that I concentrate on uh, the top 10 paranormal news stories of the year, which um, granted you can't do that in June. 
or July, right? You, you got to wait for the year to unwind. But uh, I also don't uh, do that in January because the stuff starts picking up. And last year we learned our lesson. Um, oh, I learned my lesson. I started crafting the the top ten about mid November, and then we had the monolith story. I remember that the monolith uh, appearing all over the world, and then uh, the Arecibo telescope down in Arecibo, Puerto Rico collapsed. So things can happen whenever. Uh, it seems like December things start ramping up. Definitely January we're gonna have a lot of stuff. So I don't want to wait too long. I'm still kind of putting the final touches on the top 10 paranormal news stories of 2021, and that's coming soon. Uh, I've done different formats over the years. Sometimes I'll do two a night, uh, but I've done the entire countdown of one night before. So, it, it, you know, I'm not sure how, but we'll get to it. Uh, fear not. It's not that major of a year. Uh, so anything that happens between now and the end of the year may crack the top 10. You just don't know. I'm a little critical about that when stories uh, break late in the year of putting that in the top 10, though, because you know, I have a tendency to put a little bit too much weight on a newer story versus stuff that happened earlier in the year. And I'll tell you, when I go through that list, some of these stories just seem like they happened so long ago. And interestingly, tonight, we've got uh, part two of a story that we started talking about back on the first show of 2021, I love when stories come around again. They wrap themselves up. It's always nice. It's always nice to put them to bed. I uh, always have a list of stories that uh, never had a, uh, a solution to them. I have a little notebook here of, and there's probably 30 or 40 of these things still that I haven't figured out uh, that are left kind of uh, wide open. And. We'll see uh, what other news stories crack that top 10. A lot of uh, interesting stories. And started talking about some stories like this. Uh, first one for tonight, encrypted news. A few years ago, I started talking about all these random animals that are running amok all over the United States. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of worrisome when you think about it. Uh, some of these animals are, are pretty dangerous and they're, not used to being around people and people here in the United States are not used to seeing some of these wild animals. And it creates a lot of problems. Luckily uh, we haven't had any major injuries or uh, accidents related to these creatures that have escaped. And it just seems like the, gaining a lot of momentum and getting my attention a lot more. And, uh, you know, a few years ago with alligators before that, it was, uh, well, mountain lions, but uh, that was really uh, natural ones, uh, loose in the wild. But uh, all these uh, wild cats and things escaping all over the place. And now, probably, I don't know if you remember, but it's been a while, like five weeks. We are talking about the zebras. And this story uh, took a lot of twists and turns since mid-October when I was talking about these. Uh, I thought it was an amazing story at first. And the more it unfolded and the more the information that came out, it got uh, darker and darker. It's, it's pretty uh, – it's kind of a, turned into a horrible story. I thought it was a, a cute and entertaining story about people driving around seeing zebras on the loose. And, you know, out there in uh, Maryland, and kids were wearing 
zebra costumes to school for Halloween. It was uh, all the talk. And now it's taken kind of a dark turn. So back on in uh, mid-October, I talked about the amazing story about how five zebras escaped an enclosure uh, back on August 31st, and we're still living in the woods of Maryland now. Uh, it's been clarified that it wasn't five. It was actually three. Um, so initially, sources stated there were three escaped zebras, and then a week later it said five. And in fact, there were only three all the time. And basically, that started when they were transporting these zebras. They were putting them into an enclosure, and three of them escaped uh, during that time. And uh, the person who was overseeing that really didn't have uh, any sort of background on dealing with zebras or large wild animals like that. Now, they're not like horses, they look like horses, they act a little bit differently. Uh, it was stated that there was a pack of two and a pack of three, but uh, it was only partially true as uh, there was only that trio on the run. And they didn't really seem to uh, go too far away from where they were supposed to be. So they're kind of hanging out with their pack uh, in neighboring uh, private pieces of uh, private property. Uh, another sad thing that came up is that one of the zebras died back on September 16th after being caught in an in illegal uh, snare trap. So um, they were ah, – it was on uh, property right behind where the uh, zebras are uh, – yeah, I do. I don't know if I have the name of the people. But uh, the, the people that live that own that property have no idea how that – snare trap got set and it's literally two feet away from the fence of where the uh, zebras are living so they think that the um, the, uh, the the owner or one of the people the caretaker I should say uh, placed that trap trying to uh, to snare one of the zebras to uh, capture it and bring it back unfortunately it uh, got caught up and just uh, died over a period of days and you know it had to have made a lot of noise it's really sad to think about that um and that fact was revealed on october 14th after officials stated they were uh, close to capturing the creatures in a uh, safe manner and uh, it was also disclosed that the owner of the 80 acre farm is jerry holly and Holly has an up-to-date USDA permit for his animals, which includes 30 zebra. Uh, Linda Lowe, a spokeswoman for the Prince George's County Department of the Environment, stated, quote, any further review and action taken by Prince George's County, including uh, appropriate charges against the owner, will be evaluated once the zebras return to the herd, unquote. Well, uh, that wasn't the case, as just a few days later, Holly was charged with three counts of animal cruelty. He was also charged with not providing adequate shelter, food, or veterinary care to his pack of zebras. Uh, each of the three misdemeanor charges carries a maximum of 90 days in prison or a fine of $1,000. The charges were filed on October 20th. And court documents filed the previous day state the 
uh, dead zebra was uh, caught in a snare within two feet of the fence line directly beside the fenced enclosure where the other 36 zebras were being held. Unquote. And uh, police also added that, quote, the animal should have been seen or heard while it was dying from being caught in the snare if the caretaker had attended to the zebras in the fenced enclosure and most likely died of dehydration after a period of a few days struggling in the trap. Unquote. Uh, those snares uh, are illegal in Maryland uh, for any type of animal. Um, as far as I know, I don't know their hunting regulations that closely because um, I know you can use snares for certain animals at certain times of the year, but uh, probably not for zebras. Uh, in the middle of, uh, I guess that was the fall, uh, but still, it was September. So, my goodness. Uh, and if it can trap a, a zebra, what would it have done to a deer or a smaller animal, somebody's dog, for that matter, being uh, curious about uh, zebras. I know I would have wanted to go see those. I know if I was walking through there, that would uh, that would not be uh, very very good. Granted, hopefully I would have my cell phone and call for help, but probably lose my leg in the process. Uh, Holly's exotic animal breeding business has been cited by the U.S. Department of Agriculture for over 100 violations of the Animal Welfare Act. Uh, with his uh, two properties that he has, one in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, where the zebras are being held, as well as one in Florida. Uh, the Florida one, apparently, is uh, really uh, heavily fined a lot. He's been cited 240 times in 17 years for various wildlife violations. Again, most of them coming in Florida, uh, which I, I think that's where he lives. Uh, I don't know why he has property in Maryland or why you're, you know, got 40 zebra ones out down to 36 now. Uh, in addition to the zebra caught in, in an illegal trap, uh, another dead zebra was spotted by a news helicopter, which uh, tipped off county investigators and it led to this investigation. So uh, two zebras are still on the loose. And the... Uh, uh, I don't have all that information looking here, but uh, the neighbors that live behind them have been documenting uh, their sightings. And these zebras are actually on their property, and they're trying to get money put together uh, to uh, capture them humanely. And uh, initially, they wanted to help return them to the to the herd because it, you know, that seems like that's the right thing to do. But then all of these investigations coming forward and all this. Uh, all the violations and all this other dark stuff about you know, another zebra being killed uh, has come forward. So now they're trying to get uh, money raised to uh, to help get these zebra taken to a, a much better uh, location uh, so they can be safe and uh, taken care of uh, more appropriately than uh, these poor zebras in uh, Maryland. Uh, so the the other remaining 36 are being cared for by one person with no experience or adequate knowledge of the species, according to a report by a USDA inspection. So uh, there has been word that those uh, zebra are more than likely going to be uh, taken away. Granted, that's a that's a huge haul of animals 
Uh, so they have to have uh, they have to have that planned out pretty well in advance. Uh, it's going to cost a lot of money uh, to transport those animals and get them to a, a proper area to be taken care of, uh, which is really sad. Again, you know, I started covering the story. I thought it was a cute, you know, little story that people are seeing zebras running on the loose in Maryland. It's uh, it was pretty cool, but now, yeah, it's turned into a dark story, and a lot of people wonder, well, why don't you just uh, just go back there and just uh, shoot them with a tranquilizer dart? Seems like an easy thing to do. Well, uh, zebras uh, are very high-energy animals, and you, uh, t- in order to use a tranquilizer, it's not like uh, Jurassic Park or something like that. We're just going to shoot a, a, a giant animal and you know, hope, hope you got the, the right uh, amount of tranquilizer uh, in it. Uh, too much, you can kill the animal, not enough. The animal might kill you. Um, you know, zebras will you shoot them uh, with a tranquilizer. Grant, I, I guess you could probably guess, you know, with a horse. I don't know why you'd you know, maybe a little bit more than a horse because they're pretty bulky uh, creatures. But if you don't get the right amount, uh, and they're saying that the the zebras don't act like horses, they they uh, will boost a lot more adrenaline into their system. Uh, because, you know, obviously they run from uh, a variety of animals. You know, we don't have lions here. Well, I guess we do have lions here in the United States, mountain lions, but not like African lions uh, that zebras are used to. And so they're used to uh, high adrenaline chases. So if they're shot with a tranquilizer dart, uh, there's a chance that they could uh, run amok. It could cause harm to themselves or uh, bystanders, and obviously it hasn't taken much for that to happen. We already have two two dead zebras, but I don't know. I think there's got to be a way they can capture those things by now. It's been months, safely or mainly, because you know, winter is upon us, and uh, some experts have said that they'll they'll be fine. But uh, the USDA has. Uh, cited the farm for not providing adequate shelter. So uh, you wonder uh, if they will be fine. And the, the neighbors that I mentioned, uh, they've been feeding the zebras hay. They've been putting hay down for them. So uh, they're getting food at least. But uh, hopefully they're able to capture these animals and get them out of that area, get them somewhere safer. Uh, it's a really kind of a, a sad story when you think about it. But uh, hopefully it, it will have a much better ending to it. Uh, and speaking of animals on the loose, another wrap-up story uh, for this uh, last few weeks here. This one comes from uh, Royal Oak, Michigan. And once again, the delicate balance of protecting neighborhoods, the environment, as well as the rights of pet owners has come into the spotlight. Now, uh, This time, Elaine Westfall, who's the owner of four African caracals, uh, one named Bam Bam, one named Pebbles, and then uh, Wasabi and Fire. She couldn't fill out the rest of the uh, Flintstones there, I guess. Uh, In uh, late October, at least two of the medium-sized wildcats escaped their elaborate enclosure and tiptoed through the neighborhood. Police were notified and immediately warned schools in the area 
uh, shut down everything and made it sound like a 500-pound tiger was on the loose. I think it was a little overkill on their part, reading through some of their warnings. But I, I guess you can't take uh, enough precautions because if you don't take enough precautions and somebody gets hurt, then you know, they get in trouble or somebody gets offended or something happens. Uh, police recovered the cats and returned them to Westfall, but have also issued her five citations as well as a demand that she has to take the cats out of the neighborhood. Uh, Caracals are similar looking to servals, but have a uh, kind of a uniformed colored coat. Uh, Servals have the spots. Uh, Caracals also have those. uh, uh, Caracals and servals also have the the large ears, but the caracals have the tufts of fur, you know, at the top, kind of like a lynx. You ever seen the lynx? Um, you can look, there's some dog food, I think, that has the links on it. It's got those long little hairs coming up on the ears, the tops of the ears. Uh, caracals are also quick runners. They got those long legs, and uh, they're a little shorter than servals, but they're stockier. And they can weigh up to 50 pounds. 50 pounds. It's pretty big for a cat. And uh, yeah, it's more of a, of a dog, really, that weight. Um, but they're cats, and they're also known to be able to leap at least 12 feet in the air. And just like the serval, they're escape artists, and uh, that's why we keep hearing about these these uh, escaped caracals and servals because they're escape artists. They're not used to being enclosed like this. They're wild animals, and they'll act that way, even though they're cute, and you can go and buy them at pet stores and stuff. You can buy them online. Uh, they're wild animals, and they'll act as such. Um, it, but a lot of people want to keep them as, as pets, and they think people are under the impression that just because I can love and care for an animal, that I'm going to make it uh, less wild. Well, that's not true. Well, they're wild animals. And you know, house cats uh, really haven't changed too much. They're still wild animals, as uh, anybody who has a cat probably knows. You let it loose in the garage or outside around your house. They'll come back with uh, a gift. Here's a little mouse for you. Uh, so the, the hunting doesn't go away. You, know, you don't see dogs uh, run through the neighborhood and attack and kill um, prey or attacking deer or anything like that. You don't see that. Uh, but cats, it's hard to it's hard to take that natural instinct of killing or wanting to roam out of a cat. A little different than dogs. Uh, Westfall states she has spent at least $50,000 purchasing the cats from Africa and Florida, uh, as well as creating the elaborate enclosures in her backyard and garage, which obviously aren't uh, elaborate enough. And she's now terrified that police will come to her house and confiscate the cats, and she's got nowhere to send them as they're... uh, they're not like regular house cats, but uh, again, she was ordered by the chief of police to get her cats out of the city and given five citations. And uh, she has transported the cats to the Indian Creek Zoo, although her attorney uh, states she's got a right to keep the cats. There, there is, uh, There's no ordinance to this. Um, there's no laws or any regulations in regard to owning a caracal, which is confusing 
given the order. But uh, police state that the cats have escaped at least twice before, and it's caused a lot of issues. And uh, she obviously is a little overwhelmed by these uh, four cats that, uh, you know, every every street has a crazy cat lady. Uh, but this is a really crazy, crazy cat lady. Um, Royal Oak is uh, currently conducting a study to determine what to do prior to solidifying any sort of ordinance on non-exotic animals. And this has been an ongoing issue uh, in a lot of states, a lot of cities, uh, with these caracals and servals, uh, especially with the savannah cats, which uh, attempts to take a little bit of wildness out of it. And it uh, creates a kind of a loophole in an exotic animal uh, law because you're injecting uh, you know, house cat DNA into these creatures to try to keep them uh, really from being regulated as an exotic animal, although they still pretty much act about the same. You know, un- unless you really uh, put a lot of DNA into it and, and kind of drowned out the wildness out of the cat, but it takes a while. And it's not like a, a dog where with the dog, tr- proper training and care, uh, you can keep a dog from from being violent or doing bad things but uh, cats cats are cats and you know breeds are uh, breeds are going to act certain ways unlike dogs you know people will always say well pit bulls are dangerous no it's the owners of pit bulls who are dangerous who train them to do things that they shouldn't be doing but uh, the dog breed in and of itself are uh, they're dangerous with their kisses is what they are um, and they're very loving and obedient creatures and that's their downfall they're very obedient so when the the owner teaches them to do things that they shouldn't be doing uh, they'll do it because that's what they're trained to do Uh, again unlike cats cats do what they want to do and they're uh, again they're very close to their wild ties and they don't really uh, domesticate very well they've pretty much uh, domesticated themselves and we can't really change that. So uh, we'll see. Um, and these stories, I'm sure, are kind of stirring up uh, a lot of thoughts uh, across the country about what to do with these uh, non-exotic animals and uh, how to regulate these things so that uh, we don't have a continuation of the repeat of this story. And the last story I have in Cryptid News, uh, kind of unusual this time of the year. Uh, and granted, we only got one more day. Actually, we're down to like three and a half hours in the month of November. Yikes. It's already December. Whew. Well, I guess we already got snow here in Ohio, so so be it. Uh, and usually countdowns and uh, lists, so top ten lists and things like that. We see a lot of those in December as, uh, I don't know, we just count down. We look back on the year that was. Uh, However, a website uh, called YourMoneyGeek.com has published an article titled The Scariest Mythical Creatures from Each of America's 50 States. And uh, I love stuff like that. I think it's neat and Years and years ago, when I really didn't know too much about the field, it was really cool to see this and see the different creatures that people 
uh, are fearful of or talk about in their particular states or regions of the country uh, or of the world. And each in this particular story, each of the creatures is accompanied by a kind of a cartoonish representation of said creature along with a short description. So it's pretty cool. Uh, if you live in the United States, you probably know, hopefully know the creature that's associated with your state in this list. Uh, there's a couple of surprises. I think there's a few that they could have gone with uh, a different creature or other creatures. Uh, but I think they, they hit the nail on the head with some of these. Um, it seems like there's a lot of water creatures, though. I think probably too many, to be honest. Um, but uh, most of the creatures should be well known if you live in or near those states. I'm sure you've heard some of the uh, folklore behind them. Uh, some of the easy ones, Florida, Skunk Ape. That's a, a pretty pretty good one. They've got a lot of creatures down there, but Skunk Ape, I, I think he's the big one down there. Uh, Missouri has the Ozark Howler. Uh, Montana, the Flat Lake Monster. And, of course, the Jersey Devil is the representative for New Jersey. Uh, here in Ohio, uh, the Frogman. I wasn't sure which way they would go. Well, with that, we have a lot of Bigfoot-like creatures, including Grassman. Uh, but they went Frogman, which I think is pretty cool. And uh, let's see, West Virginia has got the Flatwoods Monster, which is uh, pretty much the the big one there. Uh, but a lot of them, a lot of these states, uh, especially out west, have ones that people probably aren't too familiar with. But um, common, pretty common. I don't think there was any that I haven't heard of. Uh, but again, I was kind of surprised by some which are lesser known. It, it, some of them are like ghosts. They're not even really creatures, but uh, they've used some popular ghost um, stories uh, as kind of stand-ins for these uh, scariest mythical creatures from each of America's 50 states. And I'll post that link through the Facebook um, the official home of the uh, Paranormal Dudes Insider on Facebook, which uh, Facebook has been, yikes, don't get me started on that uh, website. Don't spend much time on there anymore uh, because of just issues and people um, trying to uh, friend me that uh, are not real people or organizations, whatever. Just, just a lot of just nefarious stuff happening on that website that it just drives me away from it but it's unfortunately one of the great avenues of communication as well and through the paranews insider facebook page which is uh, what it is facebook.com forward slash paranews insider you can search paranormal news insider it's also connected to twitter so if you're uh, into twitter uh, you'll get uh, both of those are, well, mine are connected to each other. So you'll get uh, one or the other if you're into one or the other. Uh, if you're outside of that, uh, too bad. I'm not really doing a TikTok thing. You know, that's the big thing right now. But I uh, don't really think I have a reason to do that for the show. But, no, maybe. We'll see. See how they do it. Um, so I think I closed the story out. What was the uh, California one? I can't remember. I think it was a lake monster. Let's look that up real quick. What the California one was. Um, yeah, that's your cryptid news for this week. We got some big UFO stuff 
that's unwinding. I'm looking up for California. What was the California? Oh, Tahoe Tessie is California's creature. Kind of looks like the Loch Ness Monster. Um, Tahoe Tessie. Yeah, I don't I guess they have, uh, I know they have a museum down there for that thing. But, yeah, I don't know how big it is outside of Lake Tahoe, but Tahoe Tessie, it's your California creature. Thanks. Don't they? California's got a lot. Maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger is in the so running to be one of the scariest mythical creatures. Uh, anyway, we're going to head to UFO news for the week. And uh, probably one of the bigger stories outside of all the politics surrounding UFOs this year uh, occurred in southern France. I kind of watched this one unfold over uh, a few days' time. You knew it was coming. Uh, you knew it was going to unfold, and it was uh, knew it was a hoax. I didn't think it would be a big deal, but it ended up being uh, kind of a big deal in France and Europe. They were really talking about this. Uh, quite a bit. Um, so there was a number of UFO sightings in southern France. Granted, they called them OVNIs over there uh, in uh, Spain, France, Portugal, uh, some of those European countries. Uh, OVNI, because of the way they talk over there. Uh, anyway, uh, it alarmed the public. People were worried. Some people were flipped out about this, and they were. High alert. Uh, the media was carrying uh, stories on this every single night. As they uh, cover this unfolding story, and the UFO reports were carried on multiple news stations. Although it started basically with one, and of course, anytime any news station anywhere in the world has a story, everyone else has to jump on top of it. That's just how it is. Uh, the UFO reports were carried. Uh, again, multiple stations, which uh, then you know hits more people and created even more confusion and uh, people being concerned about what's flying around the skies. And it, then it kind of took a life up of its own after that. Uh, however, not everyone was fooled, and it didn't take too long. It took a couple of days. A lot of people were chiming in, and as the stories got bigger and bigger, uh, it didn't take too long for people to figure out who was behind all this because if it's actually on TV, working with the media, pointing out to the media uh, about the sightings, uh, the gentleman in question is a pretty well-known public persona, and it didn't take people too long to figure it out. He ended up having to step out of the shadows to admit, yes, I'm behind it all, and uh, this person had the intention of, of – Fooling the media and fooling the general public at the same time, uh, making them think that aliens were flying over the area. Now, I don't agree with the way it happened because uh, when you're taking video and you're telling the media, look, hey, I've got these UFOs or OVNI and this is the real deal and they're buying into it and they're broadcasting it and you're getting other people – worked up about it and you're still flying uh, a drone around with the light on it fooling more and more people that's kind of cheating uh, but that's what this guy does uh, his name is Remy Gallard a 20 year plus veteran of large public pranks and he came forward on his YouTube channel to announce that he was uh, behind the nighttime 
light in the sky and that a simple drone was to blame. So he had a small crew of people. Uh, he launched a drone with a long, thin light. Made it look like a tic-tac-toe UFO. Tic-tac-toe? I mean, a tic-tac. No, hold the toe, I guess. Uh, a little tic-tac UFO flying through the sky. And uh, after he put up a video on uh, through the media, then, of course, uh, as he flew it pretty much the same time every night in different areas, of southern France, people also began to step forward with video. And, of course, you're causing public panic that way, I think. And, of course, people are on the lookout for it. And, you know, the, the media... So it used to be the media would research things and investigate things. They don't really do that anymore. They don't care about that. They just All they care about is putting something that's happening out in front of the general public they don't care what it causes. Uh, their their thing is to sell um, advertising slots. They don't care about the news. They don't care about the truth. They just care about selling advertising slots. Uh, if you're selling, you got a car dealership. We want you on board. Uh, you're selling uh, insurance. We want you on board. And whatever we got to do to get as many viewers to watch our news show. Uh, which is just people out there writing stuff down or texting it in and saying, hey, this is the story. Here's a video. I'll go ahead and put it on there. I don't care about getting to the truth. And so fooling the media is pretty easy to do. I don't see why he's uh, celebrating that. It's not that big of a deal, I don't think. Uh, but yeah, he just used a, a drone and he wedged his way into the media. Uh, now, Gaillard has uh, been a controversial prankster in France. Uh, doing things from wearing various video game and animal costumes to sneaking into the uh, FIVB France World League Championship team photo just days after their win in Serbia in 2015. And uh, most of his pranks are the uh, hidden camera style of thing. I basically think he's just a like a YouTube um, persona. I don't know why they call those people influencers. I think that's a silly thing to call him. Uh, he once dressed as a giant pigeon. Yes, a giant pigeon. And stood on top of a car wash. Uh, well, you know, you wash your car and the pigeons, well, they dirty them up, I guess. So that was a, a really funny prank. Uh, and his latest prank also included, uh, he used a giant UFO. Didn't look that real. You could barely fit inside of it. Uh, he would wear a little costume, and he, he'd come out of the UFO while it was parked in the middle of a road in various places in France uh, to prank people. Uh, he had one scene where he was trying to allure a cow into the UFO. He tried to get uh, towed. And another one, the tow truck driver took off like, you're crazy. Uh, he tried to fuel up his UFO on an active airstrip which they sent the uh, fire brigade out after him. Uh, so people aren't happy with him. Uh, but the big thing he did was uh, flying the drone at night with a bright light underneath in an attempt to scare people into thinking they saw a UFO. Not funny. And so, yeah, he just tried to, to prank the media, which, again, isn't that hard to do. Uh, but if you're going to create a, a UFO and park it in the middle of the road here, uh, don't do it in the United States because we'll probably just drive right through it and uh, destroy a little paper mache uh, project. 
and you'll probably get arrested. But uh, I don't think it was funny. But uh, to you know, it's one thing if you're just going to fly that thing around and the reports start up on their own. But it's another if you're going to actively uh, submit this to the media and have them come out and have them witness this uh, because they don't care. It's just if it's a cool story, they're going to put it on there and uh, get the get the uh, get the media all fired up about it. Now, what happened to them? I don't know. Uh, I don't really. I uh, didn't really follow that story that well just after this. This is pretty much all the reporting. I don't think he got into too much trouble, although, uh, like I said, the fire brigade got involved at the airport prank. I'm sure he's gotten a lot of uh, warnings, but he's not He's not uh, new. Well, he's been doing this for over 20 years, uh, so I'm sure local authorities are pretty well aware of this guy and his his so-called funny pranks of dressing up as costume characters. He, he does a lot of like video game characters. So he's got a little uh, go-kart. I'll drive around as Mario Kart. I mean, I guess some of it's kind of funny, but I don't know. It's kind of stupid at the same time. Uh, it's just an attention seeker. Um, but uh, trying to fool people into seeing UFOs, I think that's, you know, you're, you're dealing with fear on a different level. Uh, other than, you know, somebody seeing a guy in a costume, walking around in the streets. Um, yeah, I think it's a little different. But anyway, it's all over now. Uh, unfortunately, whenever you have a story like that that gets big, uh, somebody else takes it on and somebody else tries to do it. Now, I think this what he did is in reaction to a story we talked about a few months ago uh, about a similar incident, but uh, it wasn't as, uh, wasn't as worldwide, I guess. But, um, yeah, it's not hard to fool the press, not hard to fool the media, but uh, you got to be careful what you do with the general public. But the big story in UFOs this week, uh, it's kind of a confusing story because there's a couple of different angles, a couple of different sides to this. And we kind of knew this was coming uh, ever since June of this year. And, of course, September, they were talking about uh, creating a new uh, task force behind this uh so last week a successor to the u.s navy's unidentified aerial phenomena task force was ordered to be created again we kind of knew it was coming uh even though the uaptf was just created last year in june uh deputy secretary of defense kathleen hicks ordered the investigative organization to be created in the u.s defense department's intelligence and security office uh, this office will take over for the Navy's UAP task force and will focus on reports in or near areas that are called special use airspace. Uh, so that's areas that are restricted to general aviation due to secure areas such as military bases or exercises. This leads uh, to focus on reports where the fear isn't little green men flying spaceships, but instead technology of rival countries, or even what I think uh, is private industries here in the United States that is unknown to U.S. military or even scientists. Yeah, I think our own people are spying on our own government. That's kind of what I think is going on here, too. Uh, the new office will be dubbed 
the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group. That's a mouthful. Uh, AOIMSG. I think it used to create acronyms by taking a cool word that had a couple of things in it, just kind of filling in the letters. Now they just kind of create stuff. And um, I don't know, it just sounds horrible. And they're going to be supervised, talking about horrible acronyms, they're going to be supervised by the AOI MEXEC. I don't even know how you say that. OIMEX? I don't know. Uh, but that's the Airborne Object Identification and Management Executive Council. Why even do it? Why even do a. I don't know. Well, that's going to look snazzy on a, a letterhead for sure. But uh, probably not so cool on a t shirt. I hate to work in that. I mean, I wouldn't mind working in that organization, but yeah, I wouldn't want to wear a t shirt with that on it uh, for sure. Uh, the office will be overseen by a panel of military and intelligence community experts. Uh, in other words, when you're saying a panel of military and intelligence community experts, that pretty much means people have no idea what the heck they're talking about and uh, have no clue how to identify logical solutions. And only people who are continue to re uh, redact information from the general public and continue to ask money for further research and documentation. And all that money. Yeah, it's all about money. Uh, it's just going to get funneled into other things. I mean, if they're seeing and experiencing things they don't understand, uh, what's the point of documenting it? Because you don't, you're not taking any steps to really understand it. You're just, you're just documenting so you can tell other people. It's pretty much all that's going on here. Uh, so it's confusing. I don't see the 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 reason for funneling all this money into this. If all it is is really going to be documenting it and shifting it into different organizations and moving this information around. Um, this, is kind of, this is kind of weird. Uh, Hicks wrote a memo on the announcement stating that this new office will standardize the process for reporting UAP incidents as well as, quote, identifying and reducing gaps in operational and intelligence detecting capabilities, collecting and analyzing operation, intelligence, and counterintelligence data, recommending policy, regulatory, or statu uh, statutory changes as appropriate, identifying approaches to prevent or mitigate any risks posed by airborne objects of interest and other activities as deemed necessary by the director, unquote. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of uh, hocus pocus. Uh, now, it is good to uh, standardize the reporting process. I agree with that. So collecting and analyzing the uh, the information, uh, but they're really not doing anything with it. It's more or less just uh, piling up somewhere and just used to uh, generate fear and create uh, money, basically money to open up these organizations, which sounds interesting when you say, "Well, we're opening this office up." But it's not like you're, you know, opening a building and putting a bunch of people into a building and saying, here's the office of uh, the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group. No, it's just, uh, again, just letterhead, just emails. It's just uh, people uh, grabbing reports and shifting paperwork around and getting money for it, basically. And this is all coming from a fear-generated from the last few years of leaked things uh, to the media, 
and now now they're getting money for it. It's kind of weird. Um, you know, I think the you know, and the, everybody called all the private uh, private individuals or private organizations that were researching all this stuff, like New Fork and MUFON, a bunch of crazy people. Now here they are doing the same thing. Granted, they're not looking at it from the angle of UFOs like we'd like them to be. Now all the paranormal bloggers and, and news outlets are taking the, the alien UFO angle on this. But that's really not what all this is about. Uh, this is mostly about technology that uh, we have identified or seen that defies logic. Now, none of the videos that were released uh, over the last few years are of those uh, typical stories that are out there. These are just ones that they probably know are identifiable. They're just kind of using it to confuse people. Hopefully they do because it didn't take too long for most of those to find some logical conclusions. Uh, now, one story mentioned uh, in a handful of articles talking about this uh, the story discusses the July test of a Chinese globe-circling hypersonic vehicle. Uh, the vehicle is able to travel five times the speed of sound as well as launch a missile while doing so. Uh, that's a little crazy. It's a little scary. And this finding among certain, uh, certainly others out there that we're unaware of has alerted the military and intelligence communities uh, that there's other countries out there that are developing technology beyond what we're capable of employing. Uh, whether or not we're you know, creating this technology ourselves, again, we don't know. And maybe even some of the intelligent uh, people don't know what's being developed because you know everything is done. Uh, everything's compartmentalized in the government, so a lot of people don't know what's going on down the hall. Um, uh, meanwhile, all of this is unraveling. A bipartisan amendment uh, was introduced in the U.S. Senate by Kirsten Hillebrand. and It's been attached to the National Defense Authorization Act, basically the 2022 Defense Act, uh, which is, uh, was a big deal last year. So kind of led to all this. Uh, the measure, which is just one of 800 attached to the 2022 Defense Act, and you know they're going to read every single page, right? No, they won't. Um, this hopes to establish a, quote, anomaly surveillance and resolution office, unquote. Uh, and this amendment uh, would include a little bit more than what the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group would include. Uh, would also include an oversight committee, including non-military experts and civilian academics. You mean the general public? That's crazy. We can't do that. Uh, as well as other avenues of communication with foreign allies, as well as Congress. And that would be a little bit more open than what uh, this other this other one is rushed into uh, process here. But uh, yeah, we shall see. How that unfolds, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I guess UFOs have become fully political, and uh, let's see, will they get paid? Well, if they get paid, sign me up. Um, 
I'm sure the committee wouldn't get paid. They're just people that they would contact to, hey, look at this information. What do you think? Um, especially being non-military civilian, I don't know if they'd have to sign a contract or anything. An NDA, more than likely, uh, would be included with that. Uh, so I don't know if they get paid. Probably. This is all about money, really. This is all just about funneling of money from one thing to another. Um Providing some, uh, I mean, this is uh, pretty scary stuff that we're talking about here with the foreign adversaries utilizing technology to spy on us, to watch our, our military, see what we're doing, how we're conducting our training, and there's nothing we can do about it. That's, that's the scary part about it. It's not about UFOs, little green men. I, I'm, I would be excited if that was the case, uh, but I'm more afraid of this technology that's, uh, Zooming in on us off the coast of Florida and off the coast of California that we can't track. We don't know what it is. Don't know where it's coming from. Uh, more than likely, uh, a foreign adversary. That's that's pretty scary. And it uh, doesn't matter how many acronyms you come up with. Uh, I just want these things contained. I want to find out what they're what they are, where they're coming from, what they're doing. That's all I care about. And I don't care what you call it. Well, let's just stop it. Let's put a stop to it. And uh, stop throwing acronyms and taking my money and figure it out. But, uh, yeah, UFOs are now fully political. And we don't, we don't hear too much about these other organizations. You know, where is MUFON in all this? What are they doing? They need to step up. Why aren't they contacting Congress? Why aren't they stepping up? Why aren't they stepping out? Uh, you know, it's time to come out of the shadows, guys. Show what you're made of. You know, you're you're worried about your July uh, meeting already. Uh, why why aren't you out there in D.C.? Why wasn't anybody out there doing anything about all this? I, I don't know. They need to get involved. Uh, they're not. It's pretty sad. Anyway, we'll see. Uh, that's. Your UFO news for this week. Next, we actually have a story in the ghost news. And this is the story I talked about uh, earlier tonight that uh, is kind of wrapping up. was uh, from the first show of the year. First show of 2021. Uh, I talked about how Robert Bigelow, speaking of UFOs, uh, was offering up $1 million dollars for winning essays on the topic of the possibility of the survival of human consciousness after the death of the physical body. Uh, Bigelow has long been known for his involvement in UFOs as well as uh, space. And um, was it uh, budget in or something like that? He's made a lot of money. And he's uh, been trying to get involved in all these uh, strange paranormal topics over the, the last few years. But uh, with the passing of his wife, Diane, last year, after 55 years of marriage as well uh, as his son and uh, sadly, ultimately, his grandson, both committed suicide uh, many years ago, uh, he began to personally ponder the question, is there life after death? Uh, he eventually founded the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies. BICS. That, now, that's a cool acronym I can get behind um, to hopefully advance research on what exists as far as an afterlife. 
Uh, he's personally convinced that uh, consciousness does, in fact, survive the death of the body. Now, there was a contest launched in January, and it was set to uh, end on August 1st, and participants had to submit a 25,000-word thesis on the theme of the, uh, quote, possibility of survival of human consciousness beyond bodily death, unquote. Uh, a panel of experts would then evaluate the papers and select three winners. And the first place winner would uh, receive $500,000, second $300,000, and third $150,000. Now, my biggest fear was um, – Whenever you involve money, this seems to be the topic here tonight, you get – you may not get the quality, I guess, but uh, you know, maybe it takes that. Maybe it takes you know, a financial reward to, uh, to uh, bring some people out of the woodwork maybe that may have some good ideas or good information, and it worked. Bigelow received over 2,000 responses to the contest with nearly uh, 40 countries represented. You know, I thought about it. I don't have enough time to write a blog, let alone 25,000-word thesis. Um, but, yeah, I read a few of these, and they're pretty good. I think I could have competed with a few of them, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but the uh, they did... Narrowed the papers down from 2,000 responses and uh, down to 200. Then they hired six writers and academics that were familiar with the topic to act as judges. Uh, While well, the original intent was to award three winners, the judges uh, got with uh, Bigelow and they just decided that it's just so many high quality proposals that they opted to award 29 essays as winners with the last 15 being honorable mentions. Uh, so this meant the prize money went from uh, nearly a million dollars all the way up to $1.8 million, with uh, 11 participants after the top three earning $50,000 each, and the next 15 earning $20,000 each. Uh, the winning essay belonged to parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. And his uh, effort was titled uh, Beyond the Brain, Survival of Human Consciousness After Permanent Bodily Death. And uh, I'm not even done reading this thing yet. It's been out for a little bit, but I haven't gotten through it. It's uh, 98 pages. It also includes numerous video clips uh, as well as uh, uh, there's some testimonials on near-death and reincarnation experiences involved. And it's, uh, it's a pretty interesting a presentation, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's mostly writing, but with the videos, it's, it's kind of cool. It gives a, a different kind of, it adds a lot more volume to it. And I'm really happy that a, a parapsychologist won this, as they should. Uh, so Jeffrey Mishlove gets the grand prize. Uh, out of all the essays, uh, most of them are doctors or uh, people are, uh, most of them are involved in a metaphysical field, so they're not medical doctors or anything like that. But uh, it's pretty cool to to look through the who's who of the people that uh, made the list. Now, if you're interested, you got the time, 
uh, to read uh, 98 page essays. Some of them are a lot shorter, uh, but 25,000 words. That's a good chunk of uh, it's a good chunk of real estate on paper. Um, they're all available to be downloaded as PDF files, so you can sit there and you can read through them. I've read through a few of them. Um, and you can go to the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies website at uh, bigelowinstitute.org. All right, guys, I'll just went there and you crashed the site. That's awesome. Oh, not, not really. But bigelowinstitute.org, you can, you can, again, download those PDF files and read through them. Now, Bigelow plans to edit the 29 essays into a series of books which he intends to give away for free to university libraries, hospitals, hospices, and religious organizations. I think that's pretty cool. And you don't hear too much about consciousness studies at all, pretty much, uh, let alone uh, you know, much in the way of, of anything consciousness studies other than um, people trying to hawk books or videos or you know video channels and things like that but um i i think this is well lauded even if this is a an attempt to personally understand what's going on with his loved ones i think it's uh it's generated a lot of interest and it's it's unfortunate this story isn't as big as it should be uh, but i think this is a very noble effort and i think the information that's uh attached to these essays and so many different viewpoints. I mean, you just give a basic, uh, basic topic like that, and let people go crazy. And you know, there's a lot of angles that uh, I've looked at on this. Um, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that borders each other, but there's a lot of different angles that people took with us. And I think that's why it made it so difficult to narrow down to um, to just the top three, and they ended up having to choose 29. But uh, great reads, and yeah, maybe, I don't know, I'll have to break them all down a little bit more, I guess. I don't know, but uh, I still got to get through Jeffrey's uh, 98 pages and his videos. Um, but uh, great, great story. Probably one of the best stories out of the ghost field I've read in a long, long time. And with that, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's no, okay, so... Let me put it to you this way. Yeah, it's it's basically opinions. It's basically perspective. There's not really a whole lot of scientific work behind it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we haven't heard much in the way of scientists looking at consciousness too much. There are some stories out there. There's been some uh, new technologies in the last few years. But yeah, this is pretty much all... Um, uh, what am I trying to say? Subjective for the most part here, but uh, still it, it kind of jars your memory or jars your mind. I should say a little bit on the topic and get you thinking about things, but yeah, it doesn't, so, doesn't provide any solid solutions to anything, but I uh, still need to read, still need to look through everything. And with that, we've come to a close for tonight's show. Uh, I will have a show next week. Don't fear. I won't take another month and a half off. I'll be back and I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. 
for the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. <laughs>